Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Our golden retriever was not featured in the film, but he was very much a part of the experience. Because when Skittles went everywhere off the table and underneath the table, he was happy to clean them up for us. And so uh, it's, it's never a dull moment with the kids. Uh, you, just, you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. And I got to tell you, as a parent, that's terrifying. <laughs> because when you're out in public, you just never know what's going to happen. And it's a little scary. I'm going to be honest with you. But we are excited for Easter. Uh, nobody says you can't love Jesus and love Easter candy, right? I, that, that's the way I see it. I mean, Reese's eggs, I'm convinced, are a gift of the Lord. And so... We are just excited to celebrate Easter and all the things Easter. Like I said, we had a great, great day yesterday with a whole bunch of egg hunters in here. Uh, we had a literal tree coming from the ceiling. We had a vegetable garden with straw. Um, it looked like a hay barn in here for a little bit yesterday. And it just, it was so much fun just seeing so many six different hunts with hundreds of kids come in, take out some candy. It was just a great, great day. So God's doing some really, really cool things in this place. And so if you guys are ready for just an awesome, awesome Easter, would you just give it up for Jesus, for our team, for everything that's happening? I am excited. Today, I, I think some of you guys are going to go to, whether it's at your house or a family member's house, you're going to have the big family dinner and whatever you're going to have. Uh, but I have a story for you, and it's about a similar family dinner. Uh, a big, big table, a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of dudes, honestly. And so on this side of the table, there was uh, them talking about fishing. Uh, fishing was a topic of conversation down at this table. They were sharing different spots and stories. And the fish that was this big, I caught on a lure that was that small. And you know how that story goes. And so there was, they were talking about fishing. They were talking about the family. They were talking about all that good stuff down over here. And then on this side, another cop topic of conversation for dudes. I heard flatulence. I heard bodily functions. I heard about stories that probably are not true, but they sure think they're true. There was all kinds of stuff happening at this table. It was loud. It was chaotic. There was the big old belly laughs and there was meat. A lot of meat. Do I have any meat lovers in here? The vegans are like, I'm out of this church. <laughs> there was excitement. There was joy. There was all this great stuff at this table. This was like a picture-perfect scene of what you see in the movies where, you know, there's a big table, there's smiles, there's laughter, and the, the dad at the head of the table just goes. And then the, then the credits roll, and you guys throw away your popcorn and go to bed. But in this particular story, it was a little bit of a different tone. While the table was excited, while everything was going really well, the guest of honor, the head of the table, if you will, had some really tough news to share. News that was not going to be good. News that he knew was going to shake them to their core. Matthew chapter 26 says this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hands into the bowl with me will betray me. 
Jesus knew what was to come of him. Jesus knew that he was to come into the world. He was to take the sin of the world and to die a sinner's death. He knew that. He had been telling the disciples this. But here, all of a sudden, they're sitting at a table, and he goes, Fellas, the time is now. It's happening. And one of you are going to be the ones that betray me. This was significant because the disciples had spent the last three years, every waking moment with these dudes. And after spending a lot of time with my best friends in the world, I don't know if I could have done it for three years straight. There comes that point when you're hanging out with your best friend where you're like, I literally want to punch you right now because you're annoying me. You said the same joke 10 times. We've heard it. It's not funny anymore. And that was what was happening here. These dudes were tight. They had left everything behind to follow Jesus. They left their jobs. They left their families. They were following Jesus. That was their life. They had watched with their own eyes Jesus do these amazing things. They watched Jesus with their own eyes. These, these guys brought their friend on a map because he was paralyzed. And he couldn't walk. And Jesus says, hey, get up and walk. And all of a sudden, he just healed and he gets up and walks. With their own eyes, they saw him open the eyes of someone who was blind. With their own eyes, they saw someone who was literally dead. And Jesus touched them and they came back to life. With their own eyes, they saw Jesus do these amazing, fantastic things. Jesus was their teacher. Jesus was their mentor. Jesus was their brother. Jesus was their life. And here he is sitting at the table saying, one of you is going to betray me tonight. What, 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 a, what a sickening, gut-wrenching feeling going, is it going to be me? That's why they're all asking, is it going to be me? Is it me, Lord? So they share their last meal together, and then they go to this place called the Mount of Olives. It's a mountain in Israel. I've actually been able to climb it once. Really sweaty. Really hot in the middle of the desert. It is not fun. But at the base of this mountain is this garden called Gethsemane. And that's where we read Jesus saying this. Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I have spent a lot of time. This week, I, I looked over this story backwards, forwards, sideways, every which way. I went to Bible college. I've, I've, I've been able to read a lot of the Bible. And Peter, I could just never get a handle on who he is because he reminded me of somebody. And I could never quite figure out who it was. And Tuesday, I'm sitting there, I'm typing my notes for today, and I'm going, I know who he is. It finally dawned on me that Peter in the Bible is just like Chunk. <laughs> who knows who Chunk is? If you don't know who Chunk is, you have homework today. Go home and rent the movie The Goonies. Full disclaimer, not insanely appropriate. But it's not bad, and it's really funny. But Chunk is the life of the party. He talks a big game. He talks a lot of smack. Chunk is just the rough-and-tumble guy who's just so much fun to be around. But when he gets captured by the Italian villains, he folds like a cheap suit. 
He just folds. He just, he turns into a wimp and that is exactly Peter. So now when I say Peter, I want you to think of Chunk. Just don't yell out, hey, you guys for me, all right? That'll get weird. What kind of a church did I walk into today? Did he just endorse the Goonies from the stage? Sure did. Let's move on. This moment in the garden, though, is a real moment. This is like a gut punch of all gut punches. This moment in the garden for the disciples is tough. Because here they are. Jesus is not saying, hey, all of you are going to fall away as like an insult saying you're weak. He's going, hey, I know all things. And while I would love for you guys to stand up for me and be there for me, I know you won't. I know that tonight when push comes to shove and everything goes down, you're going to run for the hills. And sure enough, that's what happens. As the, as the story goes, they're in the garden and the people who want to kill Jesus show up. They take him. Peter, Chunk, tries to rescue Jesus and hacks off a guy's ear. It's a whole story. But eventually he's taken. He goes before trial. He's ridiculed. He's spit on. He's accused of things he never did. And he just sits there and takes it. And eventually they take him to the next level up. They bring him before trial. And the Romans are the next people in line, a very powerful army. And the guy's like, all right, I'll make you a deal. Because the Romans like, I have no beef with Jesus here. But there's another guy here. I, I, know, I know how I can do this. Every year I have to release a prisoner. And so here's what I'm going to do. We've got Jesus over here, who I was actually is like a pretty decent dude, but I don't have any dog in the fight. But then there's this guy over here who's a nasty awful human. He murders people. He's one of the nastiest, most vile people in all of the land. So I'll, I'll kind of just get the situation dealt with. Guys, you can all either release Jesus or this guy. And all the people, all the religious people are going, give us the villain. Give us Barabbas. We'll take him over Jesus. And so the Romans like, all right. So what happens as Jesus is chained to a post. And you can read this in Matthew chapter 26 and 27, but Jesus is put on the post. He's, he's, he's bound and he's flogged, which is just a fancy way of saying whipped. But the Romans, I need you to know as we go through this story, the Romans who are executing this process, they're smart, but not in a good way. They've come up with the most nasty ways of torturing and killing people that they possibly can. And so when they flogged Jesus, what they had done is they had grabbed a whip. But at the end of the whip, they had found shards of bones and other things that when they whipped into Jesus, it would get stuck in his skin. And then when they had to rip it back out, it would tear. Who's ready for lunch now? It was nasty. It was awful. Jesus was whipped within inches of his life. And then he is forced to carry his own cross up a hill, a nasty hill, a heavy cross, eight feet long, two by six is at least wide. This is a heavy, heavy thing. Multiple times throughout the journey, he's falling on the ground because he's so weak and so just messed up from what had happened. 
until eventually he gets to the top of this hill with some help. And what happens is they put him on the cross and they nail his feet and his hands to the cross. And again, the Romans are smart. They came up with this idea of crucifixion. And what happens in the crucifixion is gravity takes over. So when you're hanging on the cross, naturally your diaphragm and your lungs want to collapse and you can't breathe very easily. So the only way to get breath back in your lungs is to push upward and try and stretch out your diaphragm. But to do so means that the nails that are holding you in there just push more and more into your skin. This was a nasty, nasty process. And where are the disciples in this whole process? They're watching. Jesus' own mother, Mary, who brought him into the world, is watching her baby hang on this cross for doing nothing. He did nothing wrong. He was perfect. He was sinless. But we're watching the very man that we love, the very person that has become our life. Our everything is hanging there. And with every second, he's losing more and more life. And as I just picture these disciples watching this moment go down, I can just feel and sense this feeling of it's over. It's over. The hope we had for the future, the idea that this would all go well, the idea that one day Jesus would just bring all this in. He would be the king of kings and life would be good. He's dying. It's over. The thing that we wanted most, it's over. I think if I were to ask, I'm not going to, but I think there are a lot of people in this room who have felt that very same thing, that it's over. That time at your company, that time in your job that you've spent 30 years with, when they hand you papers out of nowhere and say, pack your stuff, you're out. And you realize it's over. My time here is over. I got to find a new job. I got to figure out how I'm going to provide for my family. It's over. That marriage, that is your everything. You'd wake up with that person every single day, and all of a sudden now you're staring divorce papers in the face, and you realize this is really over. That person that you love so dearly, when you sit at the bedside and you watch them breathe their last, you go, it's over the finality of this realization that it's over is tough. The dreams we had, the family we want, when it doesn't happen and you go, it is over and you stare that down in the face. There's a hole in your heart that feels too big to fill. There's this just sinking feeling that what I want most is never going to happen. It's over. The disciples felt that it was over. Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they watched Jesus breathe his last, and they thought, it is officially done. They take him off the cross, put him in the tomb, and they are distraught beyond belief. Friday was a tough day. But I have to imagine if you're the disciples in this, Saturday is an even tougher day. When you wake up on Saturday morning and you realize that that wasn't a bad dream, that was reality. That is a tough, tough day. 
but Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming. And I think to truly understand the significance and the impact of Easter, it's important for us to realize the Easter story through the disciples' eyes. Because when we see Easter through the disciples' eyes, we start to understand that quite honestly, our eyes look very similar to theirs. The way we see things are very similar to the way they see them. Sunday is coming. Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, which was Saturday, at dawn of the first day of the week, before any of your teenagers are awake, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Other translations of the Bible say they were carrying spices. This would be equivalent to they were going to pay respects and prepare Jesus' body. Just like if you were going to take flowers to a gravesite, they were fully anticipating Jesus laying there in the tomb. But what they saw changed the world forever. What they saw is why you are here today, because in verse 2 it says there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, it rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. He's not here. What do you mean he's not here? I saw him lay down right there. We put his body there. He's not here. He's risen. I'm the skeptic in the room, all right? If I was Mary, I'd be like, Cool, angel. You may have just shook the ground. You might look like something that scares the crap out of me, but I got to see for myself, all right? So here they are, stepping over these guards who just fainted because they're terrified, stepping over, and they look in the tomb, and there is the empty slab of concrete where Jesus was laying. The clothes they wrapped him in are just folded up nicely, nicely there. Like we got to tell the disciples. They run to get the disciples. Peter, chunk, doesn't believe him. (laughs) Of course she's not alive. I saw him die. No, he's alive, Peter. He's alive. Peter runs, and I mean runs to the tomb to find it for himself. And he goes in, sees the same thing, and goes, the Bible literally says, and he went away and pondered what he had saw. They are completely distraught. But what happens is eventually he meets the disciples and they're moved beyond measure. You did it. You're alive. You're back. This is like better than a movie. This is huge. And in that moment... I have to imagine when Jesus walked through the doors of the house that they were all hanging out with, when Jesus walked back in, in the flesh, when he was alive and they saw it with their own eyes, despite what their eyes were telling them had to have been a lie, they are like, no, this is reality. This is real. He is here. I have to imagine that their perspective was no longer, it's over. Their perspective now was, it's finished. It's not over. 
It's finished. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said this in John chapter 19. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to his lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? The task he came to do. See, before Jesus came along, if you had sin in your life, if you had stuff in your life that was not good, if you wanted to get clean, you needed to find a sacrifice. You needed to find a lamb or a goat or a sheep. and You'd have to take it to the temple and literally sacrifice it to clean, to get clean. For every sin, the messy process, monotonous process, a process that was never really good, the band-aid. So what Jesus did says, you know what? I will be the one eternal sacrifice. I will live a sinless, perfect life. But I will take on the sin of the world, the sin of the people who tried to kill Jesus, the sin of the people that had come before him, the sin of a weird guy in a duck shirt in 2022 preaching to a church. I'm going to take all of that sin on me. And then I'm going to die as a sinner and go down to the grave, go down and leave all that sin right there. And then I'm going to come back to life so that you can live free away from this junk that holds us back. It is finished means he did it. Sign, sealed, delivered. The debt has been paid forever. You're going to accrue some more debt. You're going to accrue some more sin. You're going to do some things that you probably shouldn't, but it doesn't matter because the debt's been paid. It was paid on the cross. And now when he is risen, it's now meaning we can have hope to live the life that God has for us. He is risen means he's come back to life and so have our hope. When we come back to life, when he is risen, so is our hope. So is our purpose. When we say he is risen, so are we. Because we are associated with him. He is risen has power. When we're in our Friday, when we're battling, we don't have a God who's dead. We have a God who's alive. We have a God who is so powerful and so strong, not even death itself can hold him back. He is risen. means that now we have a little bit of swagger in our step when we walk out the door. Because the God of the universe, the God who brought everything you see The God of the universe who cares about you so deeply, so intentionally that the Bible says the thoughts he has for you outnumber the grains of sand. The God who knows you deeper than anyone else in this world knows you. The God who created you took all of your junk, all of my junk, all the stuff that we don't like, nailed it to the cross and said, you know what? Live free and run and be happy. Be joyful because I paid your debt. He is risen, has significance. He is risen, changes everything. Fourteen and a half years ago, I was living my Friday. I know what that Friday feeling of it's over can feel like. I know how you can look 
at the future and it seems bleak. I know what it's like to look ahead and go, man, the very thing I want is not possible. That's tough. When you feel the weight of the world in your shoulders and you feel like somebody is kneeling you down and beating you down, it feels like there is no hope. It feels like there is nothing. But 14 and a half years ago, we went to a church just like this one. I had been to the whole church thing on Easter before, and quite honestly, I was bored stiff. It's not fun. Smelled weird. People were really mean. I was hungry. Didn't have any candy with me. But 14 years ago on Easter, in a church just like this one, the pastor started talking about this man named Jesus. And no longer was it just an old pasty white guy with a long hair and beard. This was a powerful force that cared about me more than anything else. That was with me, behind me, and gave me the life that I so desperately wanted, the hope I wanted. And 14 years ago, I said, you know what? I want that Jesus in my life. I want that hope that he can offer. I want that. And in those 14 years from then on, loving Jesus, I'll just tell you, there's been some really great moments. Met a beautiful woman, graduated high school and college, got to become a pastor of an awesome church. There's been a lot of great stuff. But can I just tell you, there's been some tough stuff too. There's been some more Fridays. But there's a difference when Jesus is alive. There's a difference on your Friday. You're going to feel the junk. You're going to feel the weight. You're going to feel the hopelessness. But there's a difference when you know the God who defeated the grave is in your corner. There's a difference when you know that the power that raised Jesus from the death is with you right now. There's a difference. And it's powerful. I want to leave you with this this morning. I love to go hunting. And when I was 11 years old, 12 years old, something like that, we were hunting a new field in a place I'd never been. Forecast called for complete overcast, so the moon was completely blocked out, and we had left the house at a really, really, really ungodly hour, honestly. That's what you got to do when you go hunting. Show up to the field, drop everything. My dad drops everything. He's going to go park the truck half a mile away. He says, you got all your stuff? Yep. Got your headlamp? Yep. Awesome. Drops everything, starts driving away. Open up my bags, try to turn on my headlamp, and I got like a little flicker of light and nothing. Should have checked the batteries. But what I saw as I watched the truck that I had just come from drive away, all I could see was the ground at my feet. Everything went completely dark. The kind of darkness outside where you hear a cricket in the weeds and you're convinced a Bengal tiger is ready to come maul you. I was 11 years old and it went dark and I was ready to just pee my pants on the spot. It was dark. And in all seriousness... 
as the truck got farther away and I saw the headlights go dark and now I literally had no concept of light, I was terrified. Because I could barely see my own two feet. All I could see was what I thought I saw, which was nothing. But off in the distance, after what felt like two hours, what was more like two minutes, I saw the faintest, tiny, little headlight. It couldn't have been more than a centimeter on the horizon from what I had saw, because he was a long ways away, but it was a little headlight. And can I tell you, it didn't matter how much darkness was around him, that light was still being able to be seen. On Easter, when we talk about he is risen, what we're talking about is the fact that it doesn't matter how dark things get. It doesn't matter how much darkness is around us. Jesus in John chapter 8 says he is the light of the world. Which means I could be in a room that is two miles deep by two miles wide. Heck, it could be 15 miles deep by 15 miles wide with no lights, completely black, to where you can't even see the hand in front of your face. But I guarantee you, if I shone this flashlight, you'd see it from no matter where you are. Why? Because no amount of darkness can overpower the light. Nothing. So when we say he has risen, guess what? The light of the world went down into the depths of the darkness. He went down to the darkest, deepest pits of hell and he came back and he has risen, which means guess what? Nothing can overcome us. Nothing that happens in our life is too big or too strong for God to come through. Nothing. You can bring up the lights, Asher. And I'm just going to be real, guys. There's moments where I didn't know if he was strong enough. I didn't know if he could do it. Where I'm on just, God, where are you? Jesus, what is going on? This is not the plan. This is not what's supposed to happen. Where the heck are you? But he always comes through. And then those 14 years of knowing Jesus, there's been some really tough moments. But I'll tell you, there's always a good side at the end of it. Always. It might not have been what I planned, but what I got was better. So this morning, I want you to know he is risen. He's alive. He's with you. He's with you on the really tough days, but guess what? He's also with you on the really good days. You are never, ever alone because Jesus is with you. And I know you might know that, but you don't always feel that. You might know he's with you, but sometimes it's hard to feel him. Today, I'm here to tell you, hold on to the truth that no amount of darkness can overpower the light. That is why we celebrate Easter. It's not a historical day with an event. It's a banner by which we live. It's an allegiance by which we can face every situation knowing, guess what? You can try and knock me down, Satan. You can try and pummel me into the ground. But guess what? You lose because he won. And I am with him. 
So you can do all you want, but guess what? I come out on top. And that confidence, that swagger, is not one that we possess on our own. That's purely because of what happened there. That is the God we serve, that even though he was perfect, he took on my debt, sign, sealed, deliver, it is finished. So we get to live the life that he wants for us. Free of the sin, free of the shame, free of the guilt. That is what Easter means. Will you do me a favor? I want to give you the opportunity that a pastor gave me 14 years ago that changed the trajectory of my life. It changed the way I approached everything. And it was purely an invitation. No guilt, no shame. It purely went like this. If you want the God of the world, the God of the universe, that did all of that, if you want him to be a part of your life, guess what you have to do? Ask. You don't have to earn your way in this thing. You don't have to check off the right check marks, do the right things. All you have to do is say, Jesus, would you come be a part of my life? Jesus, would you forgive me for the stuff that I've happened? I don't care if you have a dump truck of mistakes that you have made in your life that you think are too far, too big, too far gone. I don't care if you are the little church mouse who's done nothing wrong in your life, so you think. At the foot of the cross is level ground. And that invitation extends to you today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, next week, next year, next decade, next century. What happened on that cross is available to you every second of every day, that invitation. But I want to give it to you today, all right? So you guys close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to pray and get you out of here. But before I do, I think there are some people in this room. Maybe you've been to church like I had for many, many years. But you want that personal relationship with him. Maybe you had that at one time, but life's gotten crazy. Like the disciples, you kind of been running the other direction. But like the disciples, you know there's an invitation for you to come back. And you're going to take it. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to pray with you if you want to accept that invitation. If you want that invitation to know Jesus, for him to be in your corner, be at your back, to make things right with him, to welcome him into your life for the first time, to recommit, or just to say, yes, Jesus, I want you again. Would you just, with every eye closed, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I see him. I see him. I see him. Heavenly Father, for the hands that are raised, This is not a guilt invitation. This is not an invitation that makes us feel junky. God, you have paid the price. So there's nothing more to mourn. We get to celebrate the joy that our sin, the things that we are trying to run away from, the things that we feel so bad about that plague our life, they are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. So Jesus, today, we can live free, guilt-free, shame-free. The chains that have been holding us back are falling to the ground and we're going to run the life that you've marked out for us. 
God, we are thankful for what Easter means. Easter means we're, might be knocked down, but we're not out. It's not over. It's finished. We are thankful, Lord, for the finished work of what the cross means. And today we celebrate the joy that comes with knowing you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.